Welcome back to another episode of Zero to Hero, the Lean Canvas Edition. In this episode, we're talking cost structures. Uh, you may be wondering what that is, and you know what? I'm going to send it over to Chris to get us started. Hey guys, uh, as you probably know by now, my name is Chris. We're going to talk about cost structures. Uh, so the main thing I'm going to start with is what's the difference between a variable cost and a fixed cost? Uh, this is kind of uh, business 101 when you get into a business class or you start digging into stuff online. But as they sound like fixed costs are fixed, variable costs change. Uh, what are some examples of fixed costs? So your rent is going to be considered a fixed cost. So if you you know, are renting out a place for maybe a coffee shop or for your office or for a restaurant, so the rent isn't going to change. When it does, you'll have incremental increases uh, for the rent. But generally speaking, it's considered a fixed cost. You're also going to have your utilities. Uh, it's one of the exceptions to the rule. So even though your utilities change, like if you use more or less electricity, it's still considered a fixed cost because you have to pay it every month. Um, then you're going to have uh, other things like um, insurance, taxes, stuff like that. So those your are all website subscription is the same yeah. every single time. Exactly. Uh, then you have your variable costs, which are going to be more tied into things like COGS or cost of goods sold. Uh, so basically, like for drive-through coffee, the more coffee we sell, the higher our costs are because we have to have the ingredients that go into the item. So if you think about a cup of coffee, you have to buy the cup, you have to have the sleeve, the lid, the ingredients that go into it, the coffee itself, the milk. So those are all variable costs because if I don't sell that cup of coffee, I don't have to pay for it. But variable costs aren't necessarily bad because typically the higher your variable costs are, or at least this is how it should be, the more you're selling. Now, what you want to look out for is when your variable costs are really high, even though you're not necessarily selling more. So what can this be? This can be caused by inflation. So your uh, variable costs are going up, but your price remains the same. So that margin gap in between is actually lowering. We ran into this with decaffeinated. And so we had to raise our prices because, you know, milk was, you know, highest price it's ever been in a lot of places. Cups went up. We had all this pandemic stuff. Um, so we had to raise our prices to account for that. Uh, and if you have other things that are going up and you're not accounting for it, you're just taking money out of your own pocket and you're not going to be able to, sus to sustain that. So the goal is to have a really good understanding of both your fixed and your variable costs to really understand where you're coming from. And when you sell your product or service to know how much of this is going to uh, pay for the cost, how much of it is going to pay for your building, your own salary, and then how much of it is profit or uh, going towards your employees. So labor cost is actually a variable cost as well. Um, because, you know, if you think about, again, a coffee shop, you can have three people on a shift or two people on a shift and it drastically changes kind of how much money you have to make to break even, uh, which is really the conversation here is what's your break even point. Uh, so break even point or BEP is the point where you've made the same amount of money as, as you've invested or spent at that point. So if it costs you $100 to stay open that day, including all of your variable costs, if you, once you hit that $100 mark, you've hit the break-even point, and theoretically, everything after that will become your profit or take-home. Um, yeah, anyone else have any insight? First off, I'm just going to give it up for Chris. Uh, yeah. That was a, like a perfect little crash course thank you, thank you. Uh, to get people started. Yeah, 100%. So I think it's definitely... It can be very overwhelming at the beginning of your business journey if you are not a numbers person and you don't track a lot of stuff already in your life, but it's super important to spend time learning this and understanding how it works for your business. So knowing your overhead, those fixed costs, and then knowing the variable costs, the cost of doing the actual business you're going to do. Um, and a big thing, and so 
as part of that is also just really think through like, what are all the things you're actually going to be spending money on? Are you going to spend money on like paying for ads or, or is there anything that you're going to do outside of that? Um, sponsoring something somewhere, you know, so that you can get seen on TV or the radio or whatever. Um, you just need to think through what those actual costs are and decide uh, if you can handle those. And if not come up with a different plan for how to make things happen. Um, I think another thing that fits within this conversation is kind of how you go about structuring the costs of your services and or products. And so uh, a way I've heard it talked about before is kind of looking at it as, um, are you going to do like value-based pricing in terms of, uh, what's the end result that you're helping someone else get? If you're like a B2B business, for instance, helping other people make money, are you going to make your percentage of what you get off of that? Or are you doing more of like a, like a product that just kind of, are you, where are you going to fit in that lineup? So for like coffee, for instance, be caffeinated, what were your thoughts at the beginning? Were you thinking like, we're going to be the high price coffee, the low price coffee, the mid price coffee? Like what, what were you thinking in those times? Yeah. So we chose poorly as Indiana Jones would say. Um, <laughs> we tried to be, so this is actually what happened. I went to every coffee shop in Chattanooga and I wrote down all of their prices in a spreadsheet. And then I made Bcaffeinated's prices right smack dab in the middle. So we weren't the most expensive. We weren't the cheapest. We we're right in the middle, um, which is cool. Uh, except for when you don't consider what your costs are. Um, and we found that out honestly, a couple years later. And I like to uh, say there's a triangle of qualities that a business can have. You can have, so one corner is quality, one corner is price, and one corner is efficiency or speed. And I, I argue that you can have two of those corners, but never three. And we were trying to do three. And so when we transitioned into more shops and started roasting our own coffee, we decided, okay, we actually want to really, really focus on our own quality and quality control and see how we can make sure that be caffeinated doesn't suffer the fate that other businesses have where the bigger they get, the worse they taste. And I won't name any names, but there's definitely some in town that maybe aren't from Chattanooga that have moved into town that uh, you kind of taste their coffee and you're like, how are they doing well? Um, <laughs> and so when we kind of reached that conclusion, we realized that in order to maintain that quality and the speed, because that's part of our core differentiation is being quick, uh, we realized that we couldn't be the cheapest anymore. And so we raised our prices both because we needed to and also because we couldn't necessarily afford to keep the doors open at that same level. So that's when we decided we're not going to be the cheapest, fastest, and best in Chattanooga. We're just going to be the fastest and best, um, just not the cheapest, mm -hmm. which was a struggle in itself. But I think we're more comfortable now than we were before. Yeah, that that is exactly why I was thinking um, Nate here, by the way. <laughs> so I, I think a big element of this part of the lean startup when you reach this point is this is the reality check. Mm. A lot of what we've been doing so far in this series has been a lot of like ideation and what do you want your business to look like? And a lot of thinking about like, oh, this is my dream for it. This is the moment where you have to actually go, how am I going to make it happen? And that's really scary because that's when you actually see all those prices. I've worked with small businesses before where I've had that experience with them where they told me their plan. I go, that's great. How are you going to hire people for this? You don't have a plan for that okay, who's going to like work at your shop or, okay, how are you getting your product? And a lot of times people don't think about that. All they're thinking about is here's my opening date. Here's my awesome shop I've worked hard on, or here's my great website I've made. And they aren't thinking about like, 
how am I going to get my product? How much is that going to cost me? How am I going to ship stuff if I'm doing like a shipping website? They aren't thinking of those big cost structures. And this is like so crucial. This is the make or break for a lot of small businesses. And another uh, problem that we ran into is, so we've been working on creating wholesale relationships with different companies. So my business partner, Doug, this is kind of where he shines and he has made partnerships with Carrot, which does like cups and such. He's made partnerships with um, with Barista 22, 22 or 21? Barista 21, 22. It's 22. Doesn't matter. Barista 22, <laughs> uh, who's where we buy our syrups and stuff. Um, and that drastically reduces our price because we buy it in a wholesale quantity. But with some of those, you have to meet a certain threshold of buying stuff in order to get that cheaper price. And so in our head, it was, okay, yeah, I'll spend $5,000 to get everything 30 cents on the dollar cheaper. But then we ran into cash flow problems because we had, say, $20,000 worth of inventory just sitting in a warehouse that would take us six months to get through. And so that's when I actually, we brought in my wife, Jasmine, who's a financial analyst to help us kind of self audit and regulate because we're learning all this as we go as well on the caffeinated side. And it's different to know things kind of academically and philosophically, and then to experience actual cash flow issues or labor cost issues, et cetera. So we self audited and realized that we did have a lot of inventory tied up in costs in our warehouse. And so we decided, and even though it would be great to have that, you know, 30 cents on the dollar cheaper for our cups or whatever, it was actually more valuable to have an extra $3,000 in the bank to pay other stuff than it was to try and invest that quote end quote in, uh, you know, six months early. And so while it is enticing to get the cheapest price possible, sometimes it's not actually the best move when you don't have an infinite number of funds. Now, infinite funds, you always go for the cheapest one. Mm -hmm. As a small business, you probably don't have that. So you kind of have to, you, you know, choose the opportunity cost and go on that. Um, but another variable cost is marketing. So Dylan, do you want to talk on kind of how businesses can use marketing as a variable cost to kind of increase revenue stream and, you know, kind of define their cost structure? I would love to. Um, so yes, marketing is a variable cost. Um, trying to figure out how, like the logistics of um, your product and how much of it you want to sell, how much of it you can sell. And right quick, I'll tell a, a quick story about um, an experience I had uh, whenever I first graduated college. One of the first brands I worked with um, in agency world was in agriculture. Um, the problem was they went hard on marketing. They were like, uh, so they hired us and they said, we want to give you this much money and we want you to do all of these different ad campaigns. We want all of this different kind of creative. We're going to give you, um, I think it was about $200,000 on marketing. Um, and they were a business that didn't have um, a lot of income coming in. They just had this vision of, I'm going to spend all this money in marketing and the money's just going to come back to me um, like magic. And what happened was we did our job with the $200,000 they gave us. We did it very well. Um, they had a lot of orders, but the problem was they didn't account for their inventory and they ran out of product mm -hmm. after they had already sold it. So then that kind of goes into a thing of they thought they made all of this money and now all of a sudden they have to give it back because they can't send the product and then they lost money in the end because they weren't accounting for how much inventory they had and they already had made all these additional purchases with like this idea of I've made this lump sum, but I don't have this much product to give in return for the money. 
Yeah. So it's a painful problem. It's painful. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just because they, the homework wasn't done. They thought, Oh, there's this agency that I've heard so much about. And like the person who owns it is like this, like marketing guru. And if I work with him and give him money, he's going to make me a lot of money. And it can work like that. Definitely. Like we've, we've seen it work before. We, I've been on brands that it has worked like that, but uh, you have to do your homework and you have to be able to realize like, you need that system underneath it ready to go. Yeah. They weren't leveled up on the back end yet. Exactly. But with that said, um, if you have done your homework, you know, your product, you know, what you're selling your service, then you can kind of think of how much, so I like to think of like how much money does one customer cost me in a marketing standpoint? And you can figure this out by experimenting. So maybe running a Facebook ad and you can track cost per clicks, um, cost or on Google, you can do like cost per ad to cart um, on Google ads. And then you can see also in Google ads, uh, cost per conversion. Um, so, or purchase. So you can kind of start to tell after running these campaigns for a certain amount of time, how much money does it cost for me to make a sell? Um, and this is going to be experimenting. So you're not going to know right off the bat, you have to test the market. You have to see what the, um, what the likelihood of people wanting to buy your product is. Um, and that's, so one that's determined on how good you are at marketing, how good you are at creative, your social media profile needs to be good. Um, so the product or service can look appealing before they even try it out. Um, and that's the most important part is having that appeal before they even have a chance to try it out. But a lot of cells are made before they even tried the, like before they've even tried the product before. So like it's difficult because people who aren't repeat customers, um, having your service or product for the first time needs to be able to feel like they can trust it. Um, and that's why creative and marketing is so important for it to be done correctly and done very well. So determining how much a customer costs. And then once you have that base idea, after you've ran this campaign for a while, and for example, you say, okay, it cost me, um, the brand we're on right now is, or that I'm on right now actually is, um, a body care product. And right now we're at a, a cost per purchase of, uh, I, I believe it's $4 per customer. Um, and then the product is a $40 product. So they have that uh, return of 10 times higher than the cost um, it takes to get a customer to buy, um, which that's great to know because then you can say, okay, I can afford theoretically to put this much money into my marketing and I'm going to have this return um, and I know I have the product that I can sell because I'm able to track these cells and I have all these different things put up. So it's just a lot of trial um, or not trial, but a lot of testing the waters, testing the market for the effectiveness and the want, wantingness of your product. Um, and then planning accordingly for your marketing as a variable cost. Nice. Yeah, and I think the, the small smaller business side of that would be kind of guerrilla marketing. And like you said, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, uh, Nate does a really good job at going out and just talking to people in the world and, uh, riding around on a bike, handing out coffee and stuff. And it's harder to measure, uh, the, you know, cost per conversion there. Um, but there are ways that you can track them, 
Uh, and so we're going to break into, are we good doing the final tips now? Yeah, final tips it's time. So, yeah. Woo. Uh, so my final tip, kind of based on Dylan's expose right there, is figuring out uh, as interesting and cheap a ways as possible to track kind of sales flow and conversions for your cost structures. And one way that I saw at work was in a book called Do Cool Shit by Mickey Agrawal. And basically she opens a pizza restaurant in New York city, which is very difficult to do. Um, but one thing they figured out to do was, uh, so when the host would sit down the customer, they would in conversation figure out if it was their first time or not. And if it happened to find out that it was their first time, they would flip a card on the table to like green or red or something. And so if the card was at that certain color, the manager would come over and at some point during the meal and say, Hey, welcome in. I uh, hope you're having a great time. And then he would pull out a card like their business card. And on the back, they would write, you know, good for a free breadstick next time or something like that. Uh, and super genuine and disingenuous. And then he would, you know, they'd give it to them and say, thanks for testing us out. Feel free to bring this on your way uh, the next time you come for a free, whatever it is. Then they come in the next time and they use that card. And obviously it's on the manager's uh, business card. And so it's this process. And so the person realizes this is probably their second time in. So then that time they do some sort of communication with a chef and he comes out and he says, Hey guys, thanks for coming back in today. We're doing this special blah, blah, blah. And they just create that kind of crafted experience. And then they do something else to trigger a th third time coming because uh, psychologically, if you've gone to a business three times, it's kind of become a almost like a core business in your life, especially if it's within a certain amount of time. And so if they can kind of guarantee those three times of them coming in, then they're most likely going to get them as a repeat customer. And so it's really cheap, really easy, really easy to train for and to watch for. And it can have a really big impact on those return customers. So. Nice. I love that. I feel like I've heard that story somewhere and, uh, but I had spent so long, I forgot it. And yeah, that's, that's like so good. Um, I, my tip is pretty simple. It's a little bit more just general, but I'm speaking, I guess, specifically it's to everyone, but specifically to any like freelancers or solopreneurs who are just getting started, who don't consider themselves good at money or tracking stuff. Even if you feel overwhelmed and like you're not tracking everything perfectly and you understand it all, doing, doing your best to track as good as you can right now is a great place to start. So at the very least, having your business money separate from your personal money and then just being no, able always, to see. Always, always, always. That is called, No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's always. It's called commingling and it's yeah. kind of illegal. So like, yes. That's absolutely. what I'm saying. So definitely, <laughs> definitely that. And then. The great, the great news is besides that helping you one stay above board, the cool thing is that even in your own bank account, you can see what's coming in and what's going out. And the next level up of that is just to use some kind of software, QuickBooks or something, even just Google Sheets, spreadsheets to be able to see what's coming in and coming out so that you can make those informed decisions. Just like when Chris was talking about earlier, that sometimes you want to buy that thing in bulk or whatever to be, to make that, um, savings on getting more all at once but is that the wise thing for you to do if you do not have good tracking of your money you won't be able to make an informed decision so just learn to love your numbers and at least accept them and uh, be familiar with them and if it's hard for you and you don't have anyone to help you right away just do your best as you can and watch some YouTube videos, visit your local uh, business development center get some help from people who can teach you these fundamentals. My quick tip 
is quick. Um, so, and it's, it's something that I even use in my personal like finances and stuff. And it's that I always round, like if I'm making a purchase and I'm like thinking about like my total like budget, um, I'm like, okay, like, for example, if I'm buying something that's like $280, I tell myself this was $300. So it's just like I have like that extra cushion. So if worse comes to worse, I have uh, money left over um, that I've theorized is non-existent. Um, and then also another strategy for personal finances to invest the difference. Um, and that's like a strategy I've heard before is like whenever you're making purchases, always round up and then save that little chunk and invest it into like a ETF or something. But I don't know if that's topical for the podcast. Hey, but, um, it's all good. Yeah. Everyone's people. <laughs> yeah. And my big tip, this one's coming from an area of frustration, I will admit, um, is work hard, be willing to actually put in the work I've worked with a lot of small businesses and I've seen where they have like these grand ideas, like I said before, of this is what my business is going to look like. And then they get there and they start looking at the cost and they aren't able to make that happen simply because they aren't willing to put in the work. They're so focused on, oh, this is what's going to look like. Here's who I'm going to have doing it. And then they can't find somebody to do it for them versus like, you should be your first employee. You should be your first marketer. You shouldn't be worried when you literally are just opening about who's going to be doing this aspect of it that you literally know how to do and should be set up to do. Or you shouldn't be worried about who's going to be marketing my business. You are marketing your business. You are the owner of the business. You should be able to do that. So I think that's a big thing um, that people make mistakes on, especially people who this is their first time at business is getting this big, especially if they've like never been involved in business before, is getting this big grandiose idea of like people and opportunities are just going to fall into your lap when you first start. They aren't. It is really, really hard and you need to be able to be willing to put in that work. Yeah. Um, to kind of ping pong. Is that a phrase? Ping pong? Yeah, yeah it is now. Yeah. If it's not, then it is now. Yeah. I like that. Cool. <laughs> so ping pong off of what you just said, like we're table tennis. Um, <laughs> I was reading this book, um, and I think I shared it with you guys, uh, called The Startup Roller Coaster. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it was talking about, like, the importance of, like, you were saying, like, you should know, like, how to do, like, different aspects of your business. But also, whenever you do hire an employee or someone to help you with your business, you should hire people that know more than you do, mm -hmm. um, even if you don't want them to know that. Um, so, um, and, and like the strategy is, um, and it, in the book it used this example and it was like employees, they like labeled them like a B and C workers. Um, and it was saying like a workers attract other a workers, B workers attract, um, C workers and then C workers attract, um, and then it says like D workers, like uh, what it didn't even mention. So it was saying like, it's important to like, whenever you're like hiring and like having people help you out to like kind of get like the person who knows their stuff, they might cost a little bit more money, but they're going to attract other people because they want to join that workforce of people who know their stuff. And then for example, it used like Google for an, for, um, an example of everyone who works at Google is incredibly smart. And that's because they only hire people who are incredibly smart. And then people who think, oh, I'm pretty intelligent whenever I graduate college or whenever I even graduate high school because they uh, hire out of high school now. Uh, I want to work with people who are also really smart and they know their stuff. It's very professional. Um, everyone's kind of like minded. But um, just like in your business, like 
if you're going to hire a marketer, hire a good marketer. Um, and they should be able to, they should teach you stuff. Like they shouldn't be doing stuff, you know, um, how to do unless it's something where you just want it taken off of your plate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. All right. That was a good episode of cost structures on this series. You want to close this out, Mike? Yeah. Thanks guys so much for watching. And the next one, we're going to be talking about unfair advantage. That's not fair. I, who cares? Very unfair. It's unfair. See you there.